Hi everyone, welcome to another week of the Content Lab. I'm your host, Liz Murphy, the Director of Web and Interactive Content here at Impact. For anyone who listens to the NPR Politics Podcast, I kind of feel like I'm recording one of those listener-submitted timestamp introductions. Because instead of coming to you live and in technicolor from my cozy office in Annapolis, Maryland, surrounded by puppies, I'm at the super chic, bustling, industrious co-working space in Chicago. More specifically, right now I am on the balcony looking up at the Sears Tower, drinking coffee from a local roaster called Dark Matter, and it is delicious. And what you heard at the start of this recording was the L train passing by on my left. I'm here this week because I gave a talk and facilitated a content strategy and pillar content workshop for about 50 members of the Chicago Hub, which is a HubSpot user group. And it was freaking fantastic. Not only was the workshop itself super memorable, though, it has been so reinvigorating to travel and get to hang out with my Midwest impactors, Jen Barrel, our director of events, and Stephanie Baiocchi, our director of audience engagement and community. Oh, and this morning, I got to go to the completely check out and human-free Amazon Go store, and it was so freaking cool. I didn't expect automated checkout to be so much fun, but it just was. Uh, But before this week comes to a close and I board a plane tomorrow to go back home to Maryland, I wanted to share this really great conversation I had last week with Kevin Phillips, who is our content marketing specialist. Yes, he's been on the show before, but he's back this time with a story to tell about a pillar content piece he just launched on content marketing and the one strategic recommendation he makes for content marketing that completely blew my mind. Anyway. Enjoy the show, and I will come back to you live next week from Maryland. And I am so excited today to welcome back to the program, ladies and gentlemen, the one, the only, Kevin Phillips, Impact Content Marketing Consultant. Applause, applause. Yay. How are you doing today, man? I'm doing really good. Yeah, it's the end of my day, but uh, I'm, you know, couldn't be more happy than to jump on this thing too before I go and wrestle some kids to the ground in a little bit. <laughs> or let them beat me up. I mean, I am just pretty much the daddy playground pretty much as soon as I get off work. Patrick's like that with um, his nephews, my husband. He has four nephews ranging from three years old to 18. So whenever we go to visit them, he walks in and he just becomes Uncle Jungle Jim, where he's just like walking around like one child on one arm, one child on another arm, usually one around the midsection and then at least one on each leg. So it's all over the place. Right now I've only got two, so I just, one hand for each, but I'm expecting a third. So when that kid grows up, I'm going to be overwhelmed with him. How old are they? Uh, my daughter's fifth birthday will be on the 27th, and then my son is two and a half, and I got a baby due August, right at Impact Live, which means that I'm not going to be able to speak and might not even be able to go because my kids do like that week or a week before. Oh, my God. I'm so brokenhearted. So That's- it's bad timing. Conference season, <laughs> all the places I wanted to apply to speak at is right when this child is uh, supposed to be on its way. But hey, oh if you're going to miss it for any reason, I guess a, a new child is a, the best one. I don't know, man. You're kind of a quitter. I mean, like, <laughs> you're, my, you're my content partner, my content partner in crime, and you're not going to be there? Dude. I might be there, but I won't be able to speak. Get off my podcast. No, <laughs> absolutely not. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That's so exciting. I mean, I guess the birth of a child is an acceptable reason not to be at Impact Live, although... <sighs> 
It's I'm emotional. I'm sorry, guys, for people who are listening. I am just hearing this news. It's a lot to process, a lot to kind of take in emotionally. But we are here to talk about the fact that you, well, a couple of things. First of all, you just published your first piece of pillar content that is essentially the greatest getting started guide for content marketing I have read. And I I know that for a fact because I had to spend many hours editing it. (laughs) It is definitive. It is long. It is there. It is in charge. And so today I wanted to talk to you just, I wanted to spend a little time talking with you about the process that you went through and what it feels like to come to the end of having produced a piece of filler content. Um, Because I know that's one of the questions I get a lot is that I know I'm supposed to create this pillar, but you know, how do I do it? what sucks about it, how to make it suck less, you know, things like that. But then there was a particular piece of the guide that just blew my mind. So obviously I'm not a noob by any standard when it comes to content marketing, but you had this section where you were talking about how, where you were talking about what people should start writing about when they have, when they're just getting started with content marketing And the answer you gave to that was literally something I had never heard of before. So we're going to have a two-part conversation today. First, we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about the pillar process itself. And then we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about what you write and when. Um, And I think that last part is going to be exceptionally valuable because it literally turned everything I thought upside down and then inside out. I I was, yeah, maybe it was just because it was like 11 o'clock at night when I was reading it. But then I went back the next day and it was just brain power. It was later than that when I was writing it. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, well, speak perfect segue. So it was late when you were writing it. How do you feel now that it's published and out there? Relief. Yeah. And I was just hoping that it would have a good reception too, because it's one of those topics I talk about every day. And I've written different articles addressing different aspects. So it was nice to just kind of have that pillar piece, that one thing that culminates everything and brings it all together in one place. So you don't have to go jumping around on the web, looking different places. Like it's all kind of rolled right into one awesome spot. So hopefully it does end up ranking for those keywords, content marketing defined, definition of content marketing, what is content marketing and stuff like that. Yeah. And what was fascinating about it too, was the fact that you really went in deep on this one. You know, it, it could be very simple. You could just write a, what is content marketing article, very short and simple. It's a, this is what it is, but you went in depth on what it is, what it isn't, why it works, why it came around, why it's here to stay, how to get started with it. What are the different tactics in your toolbox? Like you went deep into this, uh, in terms of it, giving the context as to why it works and then also giving people a blueprint to get started. Um, What would you say is the most challenging process that, or challenging part of the process that you didn't anticipate when you were writing it? Or before you were writing it, rather? Just like any piece of writing, it's very daunting at the beginning because you you think of like, oh, I got to write a pillar piece. How long is that thing? 10,000 words plus, or, you know, anywhere from probably like 4,000 to Mm -hmm. shoot, we have a pillar on our page that's 18,000 words. So when you first look at it and you're just kind of staring at the forest, you're like, oh my God, how am I ever going to enter this thing? Like, this seems insane. Uh, So one, me and you, we did interviews on like, what should be included? What are the main chapters, the absolute things that need to be included? And yeah, I was like, well, first you got to start with the definition of the thing. Like, what the heck is this thing even? Then you really got to talk about like, why is it important? 
Like why, why do you even want to do content marketing? And then people are going to say, okay, I get it. I feel these things. I understand the importance of it. How the heck do I do this thing? Like, this is crazy. How do I actually start off producing content on my own? So I really wanted to give them some actionable tips, tools, resources that can just make things easier and just kind of understand that, yeah, you can segment these things out. I mean, you can focus on blogging first, or maybe you're more of a person that feels comfortable on camera. So you can also create video. Maybe you're more comfortable talking about it. So why not podcast? Like you have different mediums. You have different ways that you prefer to teach and you have different audiences that have different ways they want to learn. So you can focus on one of those, one of those different aspects. You don't have to just be a blogger or just a podcaster, or a YouTuber. You can have all this different stuff out there for them. Um, and then of course, I mostly focus on writing because that's kind of my background. I've been reading and writing since I was in the third grade, reading Stephen King. <laughs> I picked up Christine at, when I was in the third grade because it had my aunt's name on it. Mm -hmm. um, so I've been an avid reader forever, um, and I knew I was going to write one day. And, um, yeah, I finally get to do it. And it's, it's interesting getting to write about content marketing stuff, but I have a lot of fun with it. Yeah. Um, I've noticed every every person I know who kind of enters this field, it seems that there was always one particular author that stuck out to them when they were younger. Mine was Agatha Christie, who is a, a British mystery or was a British mystery writer. And, you know, she's famous for things like Murder on the Orient Express and Death on the Nile. And I just found her writing absolutely captivating and kind of funny at times. Um, and that I I didn't know I wanted to be a writer then, but at the same time, it was just her writing was extremely influential to me and, and still is to this day. Um, and I love how stuff sticks like that um, together. What were, what was the most exciting part about writing the pillar piece other than obviously the relief that came with it once it was over? <laughs> uh, that I'm allowed to like kind of be myself because I want to enjoy what I'm writing. So I don't want to just write something that's just kind of dry and straightforward. And especially when you're writing on a topic that's been written about a lot more by other people, like how do you repackage it in a way that maybe people haven't read it before or something that you can actually, how do you keep someone's attention for like 10,000 words? So at times I was like, am I getting like too dorky and too silly in some of this stuff that I'm writing and going sometimes off the rails on like fun little metaphors Mostly I'm like entertaining myself to keep myself wanting to go. So if I can just kind of have fun with some of these metaphors and run with it and tie it back to what I'm talking about, then I'll have more fun writing it. And then hopefully people have, you know, more fun or at least get them keep reading to the next word if they're enjoying what they're reading. Um, so yeah, I end up writing, you know, I use lots of like analogies and examples and stuff like that. Um, yeah, because it also helps kind of, you know, what I teach people when they're writing is using analogies is really a way to take complex ideas and make them simpler because we get them to agree on something that we're all familiar with, like buying a car for the first time, right? Everyone's gone through that experience of buying a car and what a nightmare it can kind of be with. And I think I started my article off with a car buying experience I went through um, where I just had a salesman just kind of give me the hard sell and end up selling me a lemon. And I was I was pissed, but then years later with the internet, I'm able to research everything out there. So I know as much almost as the sales guys, if I want to know that much, so then I'm able to negotiate better by being able to educate myself online through content marketing, reading other people's content. 
You know, it, it's funny that you mentioned that because I'm actually in the process of writing my own pillar right now. And I, I'm going through the same kind of process. In fact, it's very meta. It's a pillar on pillars coming to an impact website coming near in the near future or however they say it in the movies. I think you can tell, obviously, I'm a writer first and not a speaker tonight. But um, I, I'm running into the same challenge where, you know, there is that moment when you first look at the mountain from the base of the mountain, right? You're like, I have to climb this pillar mountain. I know I will get to the top, but oh my God, this is incredibly daunting and terrifying. But then you go through the process of, you know, okay, I've made my table of contents. I'm breaking the seven to manageable chunks. But sometimes you will just stop at the middle of the mountain and you'll look up. Well, you'll look down first and be like, wow, look at all the stuff I've done. And then you look up and go, oh, I still have equal, if not more to go. <laughs> and I had that happen probably about an hour before we started re recording this. Where I'm, I just kind of put my head in my hands and went, oh my God, oh my God, I can get through this. I just want to get it done. But that's where those moments where you really want to tap into your personality. And I always encourage the people who are writing pillar guides, at least for our company, to embrace that. Because I've noticed that's not something I see a lot of people do on their pillars. They make them very kind of voice agnostic, as if the brand woke up one morning and said, I'm going to write a pillar on something, you know, like this kind of, and this kind of omniscient narrator sidled up to a keyboard and wrote out this perfectly professional or professional and pleasing pillar, but it's ultimately kind of boring and flat. Yeah, they end up sterile. Yeah, they're, they're sterilized. And so one of the things I've tried to do differently than what I've seen is, you know, on all of our pillars, you'll notice the, the author is near the top, so you know exactly who's writing it. I'll often encourage people when they don't do it to speak in the first person. And I remember the first couple of times I put, we produced pillars, I didn't do that. And I've noticed more and more, it's made them much more effective and much more engaging. I remember reading yours and thinking, okay, I knew Kevin was funny, but this is like really funny. Um, and it made it a joy to keep editing and to keep focus on it and to keep moving through because I wanted to keep reading and, and hearing more of your voice. And it's the same with Karina Duffy, who wrote ours about HubSpot marketing and is going to be writing one on HubSpot for sales. You know, it's, it, I wish more people did that. Because not only does it make it more enjoyable for the audience, it's also a great personal branding tool if that's something your organization believes in. Because now you can go around and like, let's say you're speaking somewhere and you don't have a specific offer that you want to tie to it. You know, you can throw it up on a screen and say, you know, by the way, if you go to this URL, this is a guide on everything I've talked about. Or you can send it as a follow-up email. I know um, Mariah, who wrote our video for sales pillar, she now uses her video for sales pillar as a reply when new people connect with her on LinkedIn. Because she did a webinar, I think it was for, I want to say sales hacker, I can't remember. I'll find it. I'll link it in the show notes. But she had a ton of people reach out to her on LinkedIn afterward. And she reached out to me and said, I didn't realize after this pillar, I would be able to use it as a tool for networking. Because so many people reached out to her, she didn't have time to answer all of their questions immediately, but she wanted to respond. So she said, hey, go ahead. You know, I will get back to the specific question, but just to get you started, here is a guide I wrote recently that addresses a lot of the challenges that you've outlined here. So it creates another opportunity for people to use that content beyond the way we typically think of pillars, which is, you know, SEO, topic clusters, things like that. But anyway, 
Oh yeah. I do it all the time with clients is like I teach them a topic and then like, Hey, here's an article I've written on the exact same thing. That's going to kind of refresh your memory on it. And, um, you can go check this out after. So sometimes I talk really fast on calls and everything. So go read this at your own pace. You can read it slower. So it sinks in a little bit better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I base a lot of my talks on, uh, various pieces. So when I'm able to write a pillar content like that, it's like, this is going to be the beginning. The first thing when you meet with me and start to train with me, this is the first piece of content you got to go read, which is going to explain a bit of the why and the how of the methodology. What advice would you give to someone who is tasked with the idea of doing a piece of pillar content? You know, it's going to live at the center of this topic cluster that they're building out. It's supposed to be this core, this definitive guide, but they're freaked out. What would you tell them? One chapter at a time, like if anything, you know, don't sit out to try and write the entire thing at once. Maybe just tackle one topic at a time. And you probably don't even have to do it linear either. Like go after that subject you know the most about and you can brain dump on. Um, other just normal writing hacks is, you know, maybe clear everything. Maybe you listen to music or not. I'm usually best if I'm in a completely like quiet environment. Um, I don't really listen to music when I write or turn off, you know, your browser window. Don't be looking at other things and just kind of start typing and, you know, refuse to stop for like 20 minutes or something. And then you'll end up just getting in the rhythm and start having more fun with it. You know? Um, yeah. Other than that also, and maybe you would agree with me on this before you write your pillar, you should have your clusters too, because those are going to be kind of the backbone of it. So do the individual pieces out there that you're going to end up tying back to the pillar. Then you can create the pillar and then link it back to all those clusters. Oh yeah. And I think that also depends on the type of content organization you set up. So we actually, now granted we have all of the people in our company contribute and we have 60 plus people in our company and not every small business has that luxury in terms of the number of contributors in their company who are available. So typically what we've done is we actually have the process of the cluster getting built and the pillar getting built in parallel, or at least part of the cluster, because there is I have yet to build a cluster for us that's centered around a topic that we haven't been already writing about to some degree. And that's fairly common of mature inbound organizations who have been, you know, writing about those big five topics for a while, you know, challenges, problems, costs, comparisons, reviews, best of class, blah, 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 blah. And that's fairly common. So usually I am in, I am in the business of finding where the gaps are because you want to go to market. I would say, the absolute bare minimum is five, but I recommend eight between eight. And then HubSpot said randomly the sweet spot is like 22 is where you peak out before your cluster starts to get too bulky and unwieldy and Google gets cranky. Um, but yeah, typically it's a parallel process. Like while you were working on content marketing defined, Ramona, for example, our head of editorial content back in December published an article that had to do with the statistics around content marketing for 2019. So kind of just filling in some of the gaps. So I think it depends on the organization that you have. You, it may be best served to start with a topic cluster approach where you're working on the subtopics first. I know we do that with a lot of clients who haven't been building out their content yet. Um, and then you really get to that pillar where you can start tying it all together. I think that's probably a better approach for the less mature or complex or comprehensive content organizations out there, if that makes sense. Yeah, and that's who I'm usually working with. So I kind of yeah. say, hey, we're going to set out, we're going to write these articles and I give them their list of different stuff that's the main 
topics of the of the whole, right? The, the little mm-hmm. slices of the pie. And then I'm saying, then I get to say, all right, so you see all that stuff we created? These are actually going to be clusters of your pillar. Now you've got a couple of weeks to months to develop the pillar that's going to tie this whole thing together. Mm-hmm. So this segues pretty nicely, actually, into the, the kind of mind-blowing fact um, that you, the, well, the knowledge bomb you dropped on me. Uh, while I was reading through your article or your uh, pillar. And that was a section where you talked about the fact that there are essentially three different phases that people are writing to when they're trying to create content that resonates with their audience. So, you know, there are the big five topics again. So I'm going to challenge myself because I know I got it wrong the first time I just did it. So it's cost, it's comparisons, it's problems, and it's reviews, and it's best. So yep, like best in case. Yes. Second time's a charm. But what you write in those categories really needs to be skewed toward where people are in the buyer's journey. And so you have your awareness stage, you have your consideration stage, and you have your decision stage. And for each of those, you have top of the funnel content, middle of the funnel content, and bottom of the funnel content. Top of the funnel content is usually the easiest where people like to live. That's where you get to be educational. Like what is inbound marketing, landing page examples, you know, all of these kind of very fun things to write about that are pretty easy to research and knock out. But you said, and I had never heard this before that your recommendation to people who are just starting out is to start writing at the bottom of the funnel and not the top. Yeah, I like to work backwards. Tell me why. Well, one, it's the questions that are the most important. So the whole uh, principle of inbound marketing and they ask you answer from Marcus Sheridan's book is to ask the questions that people are having about the thing that you do. And the most important questions that they have are the questions that other people don't want to write about. So other people are perfectly fine and happy living at the top of the funnel, writing those examples and tips, articles, and six reasons you should do this and benefits of X, Y, and Z. There's a lot of competition up there because a lot of people are writing about that stuff because they're trying to get you into the funnel to begin with. Mm -hmm. But down at the bottom of the funnel becomes those questions that make businesses more squirmy to even write about. So one, there's not a lot of content out there that people are addressing on those topics. So it's easier wins for us. Two, it's at the bottom of the funnel. Like this is the content that's closest to making money. The other stuff, you gotta take a while to nurture it down. Um, And another reason is that, say I do read those like seven tips and examples, what next? Like how do you take me further? You've created this, but now I'm like, okay, cool. Awareness stage, get it, I'm aware. This is something I'm interested in. I'm ready to move in the con- to the consideration stage. You don't have anything there for me. So where am I going to go? I'm going to go to someone else's stuff to learn. You took me through that awareness stage and guided me through that. You don't have anything in the consideration or decision stage. So I'm going to leave you now and I'm going to go see what your competitors have. Maybe eventually you'll have it and I'll come back. Um, so yeah, I start at the bottom and say, hey, let's start working closest to the things that actually can lead to revenue quicker and answer those really hard uh, press questions that people really have. And again, cost. A lot of businesses don't want to talk about how much something costs because they get a little squeamish and say, I'd, I'd really rather that be a conversation that you have face-to-face with a salesperson. And the reason is because it's a little nuanced, right? Well, how much does, you know, a product cost, it's kind of easy to answer how much like a specific product might cost. 
um, depending on the product, but a service cost, there's a lot can go into it. And, you know, the salespeople say, well, it, it can cost this much because of all these factors. Mm-hmm. You write that article, you just describe what are those factors? Say it's just like landscaping. Well, it depends on the size of your property, how often you want the landscaper to come back. Uh, what kind of shrubs and bushes and flowers do you want? Um, you know, all these things that can lead into saying it can cost as little as this on up to that much. So there's a lot of reasons why businesses don't want to talk costs, but every consumer wants to know how much this thing costs. And that's usually one of the last questions that they're going to ask to say, okay, I know I want this thing. How much is it going to cost me? If you're the only person out there writing that content and their next step then is to schedule an appointment, well, then you're the only person that people can kind of get to that pathway from. Comparison. thing that was interesting too is how you talked about the fact that, you know, if you start at the top of the funnel, right, like you're new to content marketing or inbound marketing and, and you're just starting to write articles for the first time and you're going for the low hanging fruit because it's just, you want to get content out there. You want to get started. Imagine the scenario where you do a lot of convincing in your top of the funnel content or maybe even middle of the funnel content. And then you have zero bottom of the funnel content, zero kind of like closing content. They're probably going to go now to your competitors. Like you've essentially fluffed them for your competitors. You educated them and now they're going to go elsewhere to find out how much something costs, what are the comparisons that they need to know, and then, you know, finally going out there and and making a deal with somebody. And I'll tell you, the, the one of the top ones that we have people write bottom of the funnel is a best of listicle about your competitors. And it's answering that question that says like, who are, you know, the best inbound marketing companies out there or HubSpot trainers or something like that, whatever that niche you're in, who are the best, right? So you write an article that's basically going to introduce people to the competition. Mm-hmm. And the hardest part is when we have people write these articles, you don't put yourself on the list. And that's something that seems kind of counterintuitive. Like one, you're telling me to introduce people to these other guys. And two, you're telling me I'm not allowed to put myself on this list. Mm-hmm. Why not? You put yourself on the list. What do you look like? Like you lose credibility, right? Of course you put yourself on there and they say, well, then how do we get them to, you know, respond to us? One, where do you think they're learning about these people from? They're on your website Mm -hmm. learning about them Two, You can still position yourself as a thought leader and a trusted expert in your, in your um, page. One, you can do that in the introduction. Uh, Marcus has a really key way of doing it. It almost comes kind of formulaic sometimes, but it's something that's along the lines of we here at Impact meet with hundreds of businesses every month and, you know, in response to their inbound and content marketing needs. And while we realize we're not a good fit for everybody, we would like to tell you about who some of the other people out there that are, that we would trust, you know, with your business um, if we're not a good fit for you. And they are Kuno Creative and then the whole list of them. Mm-hmm. So you establish yourself early as a thought leader. You tell them like, hey, we work with all these number of businesses. People are always asking us. You become the trusted resource because you're saying, hey, we want to be open and honest with people and we'll tell you who these other people are. Then you list them out and you talk about them a little bit, who they are, what they do, what they might do different than you. Try not to cut them down because again, you'll lose credibility if you take little jabs at them. Try not to talk them up too much because then people say, yeah, they do sound amazing. Let me go check out their <laughs> website. You basically acknowledge their existence. And then at the bottom, hey, and if you want to learn if impact is a good, you know, fit for you, schedule a consultation right here or fill this form out or take this action on our site. Mm-hmm. 
So okay. those are like my favorite articles to like get out early. Cost questions, best competitor ones, uh, comparisons. You know, we can either be talking apples to apples or apples to oranges, but people really want to make sure they're not going to end up with buyer's remorse, right? They want to make sure they're making the best decision possible. So they're really going to weigh uh, whether this is the right solution or another solution is right for them. So if you're the person, again, that they're learning these things from, we have that call to action or you can connect with us at the end of this article or learn more from us. So Kevin, I want to play devil's advocate here. Let, let's just pretend, you know, I own a company that makes, I'm trying to find something on my desk that's ridiculous. I don't know. I make screwdrivers. Here we go. I have no idea why the screwdriver is on my desk, but here it is. <laughs> So I'm Liz Murphy. I own Screwdrivers Incorporated, the tool, not the cocktail, sadly. And I'm thinking, you know, Kevin, I totally get what you're saying. I read through that guide, super smart, super awesome, but I am not just getting started with content marketing. I've been making content for a while. I'm not sure if I'm making the right content. And I'm reading this going, I wish I could go back to start and, and do it all again and do it this way. What are some things that I can do right now to write the ship, so to speak, with my content marketing? Because I'm not sure that I'm creating the right content. I know I'm spending too much time at the top of the funnel, but I don't know. One could be starting with, you know, talking with everyone in the organization who is kind of customer facing. And just have them say, like, I want you to give me the top 20 questions that you get asked on a regular basis. And have everyone that talks to customers do that. And by doing that, you'll have people in different uh, departments of your organization that talk to customers. So, sure, they'll have a lot of overlap. But in different departments, you're going to find unique questions. So, compile this list. And if you do it right, you'll end up with, like, 100-plus questions if you get a bunch of people to give you 20 then comb through your website and ask yourself, have we answered these questions at all? And what do these questions have in common? Um, a lot of them will be some of that bottom of the funnel stuff. Like, yeah, these are the questions people are asking. And we've spent all this time talking about ideas and reasons and benefits, that fluffy stuff that is interesting. And you might even get a lot of eyeballs on, but really in the end, it doesn't solve those core problems that people have. Um, so double check that you are answering the right questions that people have. And then if not, go back there and start creating some of that content. Awesome. Kevin, you are smart and you have saved my screwdriver business. Thank <laughs> you. What are some of the most common mistakes that you see people make when they're either first getting started or they're knee deep into it? Mm, one is they, once I teach someone like, Hey, these are the topics you're going to have to write about. Um, then it's just not doing it right, I guess. They still want to inject the company too much in it and say, like, this is why you should buy from us, and we do this. And, like, there's too much we, we, we in the article, and it's not as helpful as before or as it should be. Um, I like to say, let's use the 80-20 rule, right? Mm -hmm. So your content should be 80% educational. It should be focused on educating the buyer to make the best purchase decision for them. And the hard fact you have to learn is you're not always going to be that right solution for them. So if we're <laughs> educational, we're teaching them what's best for them. And then you'll, you'll build trust through that. So then they'll want to be you to be the right fit for them. 
then people say, well, if I'm just straight, strictly educational, then after reading an article, they might just kind of walk away and go, cool, that's great. I think I need to go buy me a screwdriver now. I need to go find somewhere to buy it with no idea that Liz's hardware store sells screwdrivers. So they end up going to your neighbor and buying a screwdriver for him. So you can still be promotional, but just use the 80-20 rule. 80% of it should be educational, 20% promotional. Best ways to kind of plug yourself is in the intro and the outro and maybe sprinkled a little bit in the body. But if your brand name keeps coming up over and over in the content, people are going to say, this is just a native advertisement, really. And this is yeah. really something I'm learning. Um, so in the intro, it's usually kind of a low key, just kind of like that. Hey, people are always, at, you know, we work with hundreds of business a day that are always asking us questions. You got to know your stuff about screwdrivers. If a hundred people are asking you questions about screwdrivers every day, and then you can teach them all things about screwdrivers, the, the difference, the, you know, uh, the different makers of screwdrivers, uh, the best ones, when to choose a Phillips head over a flathead, um, whether to get a multi-tool or something. And then in the end, Hey, by the way, we sell a variety of screwdrivers over here at Liz's hardware <laughs> store. And if you want to check out our selection, click here. So now you've educated me on screwdrivers and I'm moving to that next step. Like, all right, cool. I think I know this right kind of screwdriver for me. Sounds like I need to get me a Phillips head to change this light bulb out. I don't know why you'd want to do that without turning the power off or something. Uh, Cause that would be dangerous. But, As a screwdriver professional, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> exactly. Um, usually what I tell people is, you know, it, it's, so I wrote, um, a, a guide on blogging tips and um, I can share that with everybody in the show notes, but really there are a couple things I usually recommend and it's, it's kind of two sides of the same coin. On the one hand, on one side, you want to go out of your way to be helpful and you're helpful by being accurate, thorough, and honest. And if you can look back at what you've written and say, it's accurate, it's thorough, it's honest, guess what? Congratulations. Pat yourself on the back. You have been helpful today. And that's really what people want when they're looking for an answer to a question or solving a problem. And that's really, I don't know of a piece of content that isn't either answering a question or solving a problem. So you're making a pain in someone's life go away. And you do that by helping them. But the other side of that coin is be helpful, but don't be a politician. Everybody hates politicians. And there are two reasons why. One, they answer a different question because that, that's the one they prefer to answer. So they'll I've seen people title a blog and literally in the introduction, they'll say, I know you're asking this, but really what you want to know is that. And then go running. <laughs> it, it's just like, oh my God, no, I am answering that question because that is the question I want to answer. Or if they do answer the appropriate question, they'll provide half answers or only answers that make them look good. So be helpful. Don't be a politician. End of that. I love, I'm stealing that. I'm sorry. And I'm going to name brand that too. Trademark it with my name on it. So everyone will think it's Kevin's biggest piece of advice. And I'm never going to sell you a screwdriver ever again. <laughs> My hardware store is closed. Well, here's another bottom of the funnel one too that kind of answers that is problems with the solution article, right? So you sell your screwdrivers. You're going to want to write some content that might be hard to, to come by. It's like seven reasons a screwdriver might not be right for fixing your dryer. Or I don't want to keep saying light bulb because um, yeah, I don't want anyone getting electrocuted. Don't but do when, is, when is this not a good fit for you? Even though this is the main thing we sell, 
you want to tell people when it's not a good fit for them. And it's going to do things twofold. One, it's going to educate them again on when uh, to help them make a decision that they don't have remorse on. Mm-hmm. And two, it's going to help you out too, even though you might think of it, because you don't need to be convincing people they need a screwdriver when clearly they need an entirely different tool, like a hammer or something, right? So why would you spend so much time working with these people to convince them that they need a screwdriver when really they need a hammer instead? Um, you know, Marcus's, his number one article he wrote for River Pools was problems with fiberglass pools, which would sound crazy to even have like, hey, we're trying to sell fiberglass pool here. You could be quiet and not tell people that there's problems with it. But he knew that too often he would go through the sales process and things fell apart at the end because it was not the right fit. And then the company ends up wasting a lot of times trying to force this into being a good fit. So let people know on the outset when this thing might not be a good solution for them or at least problems that might arise so they can make sure that they can find those solutions to those problems ahead of time. Uh, with a with a fiberglass pool, it could be, it's not really customizable, right? Like you're going to only have like this wide because this isn't built on site. It's built somewhere else and it needs to be a certain size to be transported down the road. So you can't have these things over like 16 feet wide. So if you're looking for something wider, you're not going to get that. Uh, you know, maybe there's problems with the maintenance or maybe there's zoning laws or something that would keep you from being allowed to even have a pool in the first place. These are things that the customer is going to need to know about so they can research it. So they're not going down a long avenue that is not right for them to begin with. And both of you guys in the ultimately might be wasting your time on this. So steer people in the right direction, even when it means that it might not be, you know, business for you because down the road they might buy a house and they end up saying, well, now I can get that fiberglass pool. And where do you think they're going to come back to? They're going to come back to the guy that was honest with them to begin with. Mm -hmm. So we've actually touched upon this a few times and I feel we're missed to the listeners at home because I didn't go out of my way to be helpful and explain what the heck it was we're talking about. So you and I have been banding around, banding about a term, the big five. Mm-hmm. And I know you go through this in your guide, but could you just give a brief explainer of when we're talking about, quote, the big five blog topics, what is it exactly that we're talking about? Yeah, and those are the ones that Marcus identified originally, and I've seen this time and time again, of when he was looking at the content, you know, he had written hundreds of blog articles on fiberglass pools, and he combed through and said, I want to know two things about these. Which ones are bringing me the most traffic? and which pieces are end up converting the most leads, like the, and then which ones have led to the most sales. Pieces of content I have on my site, the people that have actually purchased from me have read. And then when looking back using tools like HubSpot, he can say, I can directly tie revenue back to that best competitors article. That one has actually made me, I think it's you know, in around like $1.2 million and probably fudging his numbers, but it was, a, it was significant because he'd had a lot of people read that best competitors article, then fill out the form, he goes on a sales car, a sales call, and he sold them a pool. Cost questions, same thing. Like, how much does this thing cost? Um, comparisons, how co- fiberglass pools compared to vinyl liner pools, how they compared to concrete pools. Mm-hmm. And he found that when they read those articles and they knew already that, hey, a fiberglass pool might not be a good fit for you if these reasons that a concrete pool would be better, he didn't have to waste time. So the people that actually read those articles and then on his sales calls, we're able to say, they already knew those answers. Yeah, cool. We're, we're ready to move on and continue talking about fiberglass pools with you. Um, so yeah, these are the articles that generate traffic, generate leads, and close the most deals. And their cost, comparison questions, uh, best of listicles, reviewing different products, 
and problems with the solutions that you offer. You know, what's so funny to me. I remember reading, they ask you answer for the first time when I first got into inbound marketing about five or six years ago and reading it and going, how the fudge did I not figure out the big five were in fact the big five because you, you brought a, so the great thing is you shamelessly are stealing the like, don't be a politician, but be helpful thing. I shamelessly stole in my blogging tips guide. Uh, and, but to be fair, I cited you and said where it came from. I talked about my first experience buying my Jeep and I was really excited about this particular buying experience because it wasn't my first car, but it was the first time I picked a car where I'm like, this is the car that I want. You know, I can buy the car that is kind of like at this point, you know, my dream car. But when I thought back, you know, in writing this guide about what I went through when I was buying my Jeep Renegade, I researched not like, where does a Jeep come from? You know, like those kind of more fluffy top of the funnel articles. I was looking at how much do Jeep Renegades cost? Problems with the Jeep Renegade, because even though I knew in my head that they were adorable and I loved them, I wanted to make sure that like people were like, so it's basically a dumpster on wheels. Like, you know, <laughs> I didn't want that to happen. And the best part was, is it turned out one of the cons somebody had put there that it's like, it's too cutesy. It's not cool enough to be in the manly Jeep lineup. I'm like, a cute Jeep? that's for me. Sign me up. Then I started comparing it to other similar SUVs like the Kia Soul because they had hamsters in their commercials. So I had to look or like the Ford Escape. Like I knew I had to at least consider other cars before I committed to it. I then looked at reviews and then I decided also, you know, maybe even just within the Jeep family, I should look. So I started looking at like best midsize Jeep SUVs. And then I looked for best dealerships in the area for Jeeps. So when I actually think back on like the most impactful content that ended up with me giving a significant amount of money to a dealership in Annapolis <laughs> so I could drive my bright orange Jeep home, it was across the big five. Yeah. You know? So that's what I really found fascinating about it and how it's so inbound marketing, even when I just discovered the concept was kind of like that way too. I'm like, Oh, of course buyers have changed. I know this because I'm a buyer and I don't like talking to salespeople. You know what I mean? Like we intrinsically know these things, but as marketers, like when we go to work, we like put on a marketing hat and become stupid. Like, I don't know what people want to learn about. What do our people want to learn? Like we just pretend like we're not people anymore. It's bizarre. And if you didn't know all that stuff ahead of time, you would have went there for a Jeep and then ended up like buying an overpriced Mercedes that you can't even afford down the road, right? Exactly. You just end up letting the salesperson say, no, no, let me tell you what's right for you. Mm -hmm. But no, sorry, buddy. I did my research ahead of time. I just need you to let me take that thing for a test drive so I can double check it and then I'm going to buy it. It's going to cut down on you sitting here trying to give me your pitch because I know I want that thing already. All you need to do really is kind of let me test drive it and get me the paperwork and then we can both get out of here early. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So you have already answered my question that I usually ask people, which is, you know, what is the one thing somebody can start doing right now to make their content better? So I had to come up with a better question for you. Um, here we go. Super creative. Are you ready? I'm gonna try. What is your biggest pet peeve in content? Like the thing you see all the time that is maybe a well-meaning gaffe or just something obvious that just makes you want to rip your hair out and tell people to stop doing it. Yeah, getting back to just trying to tell them, hey, you need to be educational in these content. Like, really 
come from the buyer's perspective of it. I know that's hard. And then they still come to me with a piece of content that says their brand's name like 17 times in a, like a 1000 word article. Like, can you just strip like most of that out and just save it for the beginning and the end? Like, <laughs> it looks like a native advertisement. Sure. You did a pretty good job of explaining stuff, but you just kept trying to push too hard back to yourself. Like don't try too hard. Let the education sell for you. Don't try and sell yourself. Why do you think people do that though? Cause I've noticed that inclination, like this fear that if I don't keep talking to myself, then what? I don't know. I mean, it's just maybe nerves. I mean, I kind of go back to thinking of like maybe my first date with my wife where we almost didn't have a second date because I kept talking about myself too much. And it wasn't towards till the end when I exhausted myself about me that I finally was like, let me learn about you. And then she's like, oh, okay, this guy does care a little bit, <laughs> you know, like it's that nervousness where you just keep rambling and talking about yourself too much. And you're not really trying to solve the other person's problems or help them out in any way or learn anything about them and then when they switch the gear like hey i'm actually care about you and your problems and what you're going to get out of this then they say well thank you and then ultimately they'll end up marrying you you know oh that's so sweet the content marketer's approach to love <laughs> well i think also sometimes when you especially if you're just getting started with inbound or content marketing i think it seems like if you're not selling then you're wasting time you know, that, that there is some sort of, you know, long game when it comes to inbound and content marketing. You know, it, it does take some time to see those significant revenue returns. Like there are ways to kind of do some quick wins and rapid results when it comes to inbound and content marketing. But I think sometimes when people are just getting started, they feel like they're wasting their time by not capitalizing on every opportunity to sell themselves. And they have to just kind of retrain their brain and turn that off and understand your goal in this, piece, this single piece of content is not to move people through the entire buyer's journey in like a thousand words. Like that's not the goal. What you're doing is laying the foundation to become the most trusted resource in your given space. And you do that cumulatively and you do that over time. You don't accomplish that in a single article. You do that with, through a body of work. And I think that's the big fear with people is that they're just, they're so concerned that if I'm not selling them, what's the point? And sometimes, you know, sometimes you can educate your way around it, but there are some people where even if you explain to them the big picture and what you're trying to do, you know, if, if you agree that trust is your primary currency of how you're going to get results for your business in the long term, then you have to understand that this is how it works. And if they still refuse, then maybe it's just not right for them. Like there are just some organizations that they're going to have to learn the hard way, <laughs> you know, that this is the old ways don't really cut it anymore, but you can't force people to. Yeah. And site Marcus's, you know, um, 80% of the customer's journey is done before they usually reach out to you. Cause most people, don't want to reach out to you early because you will sell to them. So they're going to learn first for themselves. Then when they're ready to be sold to, then they'll come to you. So you got to keep that in mind too, is people want to be educated first. And when they're ready, then they'll reach out to you. You get too pushy, you're going to push them away. Yeah. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for joining me. I know it's the end of both of our work days, but I'm going to try to find another excuse to have you back on just because so <laughs> I'm always to down. talk to my fellow nerd. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely down. Just let me know.
Awesome. Well, go have fun being a jungle gym with your children. And to everybody else listening, thank you for joining once again this week. If you want to get in touch with me, you can find me at Naptown Pint on Twitter and Instagram. Kevin, how can people get in touch with you? Uh, you can get a hold of me in my email, kphillips at impactbnd.com. Um, uh, LinkedIn, Kevin Ray Phillips. What? We're connected on LinkedIn and I didn't know your name was Ray. I feel like I'm learning so much about you today and we've been working <laughs> together for over a year. I'm simultaneously excited. It's the thrill of something new from something that's old. I don't know, but I'm also sad. Um, anyway, if you have really dug my post five o'clock on a Thursday afternoon rambling and you want to make sure that other people are able to find this podcast as well, don't forget to leave a review on iTunes. I like being told I'm pretty. And plus, again, it helps this podcast get found. But uh, otherwise, until next week. Bye.